0: Christ Forming the Church is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his third message, Prompting Them. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 21 through 36, and it reads as follows. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders, and signs which God performed through him in your midst, Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David said of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore... My heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because Thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow my, Thy Holy One, to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with Thy presence. Brethren, I may confidentially say to you, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified." And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his third message, entitled, Prompting Them, as he continues in his series, Christ Forming the Church.
1: Oh, my gosh. Do you look at that?
2: Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, I can't even look. Can you believe they let people like that in? No, there ought to be a law. What do you think she weighs?
1: About as much as my right thigh. <sighs> so, how long have you been coming? Since January. Oh, New Year's resolution. Yeah, from 1988. <laughs> Finally New made Year's... it in. How about you?
2: About a year. Oh, really? Well, you know, i'm I'm mostly just interested in toning.
1: Oh, yeah, right. well, me too.
2: Yeah, of course. And and getting out of the house.
1: Oh, you have kids.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> How many? Two? Oh. How about you? Too many? I met their beck and call twenty four hours a day, except? when I'm here. I try having
1: a friend over once oh. in a while, but you know how that goes. Oh, I haven't
2: completed a sentence with another adult in the house in years. <laughs> I can't remember the
1: last time I did something exciting outside
2: of yelling at my kids. This is it for me. I
1: thought life was going to be so much fun, huh?
2: How did this happen anyway? Well, I know how it happened. The routine, I mean.
1: Oh, I don't know. It's so <clears throat> easy to get into a rut. I mean, every day, the same old thing. Yeah, leave here. Stop at Dunkin'
3: Donuts.
2: <laughs> yeah. You work up an appetite at a place like this. Well, sure, yeah. yeah. Go home, watch Oprah. I'm, I'm worried, worried about, about her weight. weight. Oh, no kidding,
1: yeah. 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 Up and down, up oh, and it down. It can be
2: healthy. Oh,
1: did you see her yesterday? No, I wasn't home yesterday.
2: Huh. Oh, Here, working out?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Me and this little what's-her-body over there. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no. I was at a Bible study. Oh, a Bible study. Yeah. Every Wednesday for, uh, gosh, the last two years, six of us have gotten together now. Is this with your church? No. No, well, I mean, we all go to the same church, but we take turns meeting at each other's houses. Speaking of which, I've got to go home and clean my house.
2: Oh, I can have my house spotless, and then they show up. All my kids have to do is walk in the door, and it's like a poltergeist has struck. Toys begin flying all over the place. Drives me crazy. No kidding. I'm picking up after
1: them all day long. That's all we ever do, is pick up, pick up. What do you talk about at your meetings? My meetings? Yeah, your Bible study. Oh, um, well, we're all moms, so, you know, we're trying to figure out how to raise our kids and keep our sanity. (laughs) In fact, the first thing that we all did was... Learn the most important Bible verse on child-rearing.
2: Oh, really? What's that?
1: Thou shalt not kill. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs)
3: Uh, Man, I haven't
1: been to church since I was a kid. Oh, boy, not me. I've been going ever since I was a kid. You, um, you don't go to a
2: church? Uh-uh. Oh. Oh. Well,
1: um, have you ever thought about going?
3: No. Not really. Oh,
1: not really. (laughs) Well, do you know much about, you know, Christianity? Not really. Oh. (laughs) Well, um... If, you know, you uh ever had any, um uh, you know, questions or anything, well, I'd, gosh, I'd be more than happy to answer them for you.
2: Oh, well, I'll keep that in mind.
1: Do you have any now? Questions? Yeah. No. Good. <laughs> um... I... Well, what I meant to say was, um, you know, maybe you'd, you'd want to think about it a little bit. And then, um, you know, we could get together and talk about it while we're, while we're toning.
2: Okay, anything to make the time pass quickly. Right. You know, I'd like some new ideas on how to handle my kids. What else have you learned? Oh, lots, really, a lot. Uh, you know, I was totally
1: kidding about that, that sh- thou shall not kill thing before.
2: Oh, so it is okay to kill your kids. <laughs> yeah,
1: only in self-defense. <laughs> wow.
2: Man. My legs are dead. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you next week. Um, Ooh. okay, yeah, that'd be great. Um, okay. by the way, my name is, uh, Linda. Oh, well, I'm Anne. Hi, nice
1: to meet you. <laughs> oh. oh. Well,
2: maybe next week then. Okay. Alright, well, maybe we can talk some more. Right, right. 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 Like she's ever going to want to talk
1: to me again. Oh, I totally blew this. I blew this whole thing. I didn't even mention John 3.16. Oh, man. Ow. Oh, ow. Why didn't I tell her about the four spiritual laws? Oh, man. Saved by grace. We're saved by grace.
4: Well, if you have your scriptures with you, and if you're also a little bit nervous about evangelism, if you would turn to the second chapter of Acts, maybe we'll be able to put this in some sort of helpful context for you. You will know if you've been following along that we are in the middle of Peter's sermon, the first sermon of a priest in the church, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit The first response of Peter was to address the mockers in the crowd. He addressed the front part of his message to all you who dwell in Jerusalem, a good part of whom may have been unbelievers. And so the first part of his talk was a a defense, or at least the beginning of an explanation to those who were unlikely to follow up for further explanation. But yet, in a very short time, he turns to the most likely candidates for evangelism, the most likely candidates to those who would be open to the things of God, especially this Messiah. And he begins with verse 22, men of Israel. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. In other words, the miracles really weren't up for debate. They had just seen a tremendous miracle, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that resulted in the, the wonders, wonderful deeds of God being communicated in, in strange languages, just so that people could hear those things in their own language. And so, therefore, the miracles are right in front of them. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting to an end the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Now at this point, Peter begins to speak to them, in a way that would mean a great deal to them. He knows them this well. He begins to talk about their most beloved king, the highest king that ever lived, and say says, in essence, you know, David predicted the resurrection of Christ. Gives a passage out of the Psalms, and he says, and so in verse 30, because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath, to seat one of his descendants upon the throne. And he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Not David's, but Jesus. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. He's talking about the 120 here. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, a part of the Christian life is evangelism. Not that it could be evangelism. It is evangelism. I want you to note that the initial birthday of the church was filled with the spirit of love and inclusion. Was filled with a spirit that overflowed, as Vernon says, what God was doing on that day that would offer to people the opportunity to come in and believe with us. Now, you have had times in your lives, and you will have more times, when there seems to be an opportunity to share that great opportunity. Let me ask you, how did it go? Let me ask you if those opportunities are there in the future. How will it go? It must have been terribly difficult for Peter, again who had cowered at the very thought of having to face his Jewish brethren with his faith. It must have been very difficult for him to stand up and begin to speak very plainly with the facts of what had happened. But yet he proceeded. How is it with you? Let me ask another question. Why is it so difficult when, when there is an opportunity so evidently in front of us? Why is it so difficult to go ahead with what we know to say? Well, maybe it's because, one explanation, that we have this caricature in our head of what an evangelist is. George Hunter III, who is the professor of evangelism at Asbury Theological Seminary, did a survey not too many years ago. And in that survey, he asked two questions. First, he asked this question. Give, this was to believers, give the, um, the characteristics that you immediately associate with a person who is very involved in evangelism. Give the characteristics of an evangelist. First thing that comes to your mind, you know 90% of those characteristics were negative, pushy, arrogant, narrow-minded, aggressive, um, insensitive, callous, uh, working according to their own agenda. Then he asked another question, very much like it, only very different. This was the question. Give the characteristics of the person mainly responsible for leading you to Christ. 90% of those characteristics were totally positive. Sensitive, caring, loving, faithful, trusting, concerned, so on and so forth. When we know what effective evangelism is, and that is a person who shows the love of Christ... A person who demonstrates the love of Christ as well as explaining the love of Christ. When we know that effective evangelism means 80% listening and 20% talking, why do we still have this negative picture of evangelism in our minds? Yet we do. And we need to take a look at our own hearts and say, you know, if there is an opportunity there, will I proceed? And if the answer is, Lord, I'm going to try. Because I know that's part of... Then the next question is, how would I proceed? How will I proceed? If you don't carry with you some instrument that, that helps you through the process, and by the way, I'd recommend that. I'd recommend carrying around four spiritual laws or steps to peace with God or, or go to any Christian bookstore and they'll, they'll have some little way of explaining the gospel to somebody, and that's helpful for folks who don't have a way that they do that already in their mind. But even more important than that is what I want to share with you today from Peter's first sermon. (laughs) It's easy enough for me to say. Because in especially those first three verses, Peter put the nugget and the sense of how we need to approach and proceed with those who would overhear the gospel. Because that's usually how it happens. Oh, you go to a Bible study? Oh, what's it like? People usually listen into your life and then ask questions. How do you proceed for someone who is overhearing the gospel? Well, the first thing that we need to keep in mind is that we need to approach this not from a focus on people's problems, but from a focus on God. That should take a great deal of weight off you because you need to know from the very beginning that in order to have, be an effective evangelist, evangelist, you don't have to be a problem solver. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to be a dear Abby or an Ann Landers. Please don't become a dear Abby or an Ann Landers because that's not the issue. The issue is not, can you solve their problem? The issue is, can you introduce them to someone? who will not only solve their problem, but take them to a new height of direction altogether. You know, in the old sailing vessels, there was not one compass, there were two compasses. There was one compass that stood in front of the helmsman so that as that helmsman turned that wheel, he could look at the compass and be guided by that compass. But there was another one. This one was nailed halfway up a mast And several times a day, a sailor would shinny up that mast and look at that compass and give a reading on that compass. One day, a neophyte to sailing came on board and was curious as to the process, and he asked the helmsman why they had that second compass, why he couldn't just be guided by the first compass. The answer of the helmsman was classic for our use, a great analogy to how God works. He said, a compass works by magnetism. This ship is made out of metal. There are many metal things around this compass. And so this compass can be distracted. It can be influenced by its immediate surroundings so that the directions it gives may not be totally true. But that compass is above the influence of immediate surroundings. And so that is the one that we must take our direction of often. That's what people need. They don't need just the compass that's immediately available to them. They need the compass that's far above any influence of immediate circumstances or immediate surroundings. And so when you begin to present Christ to someone else, that's what you need to focus on. You know, there's a truth that we have that is far above anything available to them. And that's the one I want to guide them to. And then we need to understand what that means. That 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 truth initiated itself into the lives of these people. Listen, if somebody's interested in Christ, I want you to keep this in mind. You're not having to sell them. God's already in them asking questions. There's nothing in the flesh that seeks God. Nothing. There's nothing in our lives, no matter how miserable we get, that wants to turn over our lives to someone else. In our flesh... We are totally independent. We are totally uh, 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 unto ourselves. And so, therefore, any time you have someone who is interested in the things of God, you need to have the confidence that God is already in there initiating that interest. So you're not facing a hostile witness. You're complimenting what God is already beginning to do. That's a very valuable thing to keep in mind. It takes a good deal of the intimidation out of your approach. But here's what also to keep in mind. I told you before that it is not about problem-solving, and so it's very important that you start the basis like Peter started the basis. Totally focused on God. Men of Israel, listen to my words. Jesus the Nazarene, he didn't start out with their problems. He started out with God and the manifestation of God and what God had done. And therefore, any evangelism must focus on God and His initiation and our building our lives around Him. I heard a story once and I I told this a couple of years ago but it's just perfect for, for what we're saying here. There was a rich man who once went to an auction and this he was a Christian and this picture this striking, wonderful sensational picture of Christ came up for sale. He thought in his heart no matter what the sacrifice I must have this picture. And so he began in a bidding war against someone for this picture. And finally, he he won, and he got possession of the picture. And the man who was with him said, you know, you must have really wanted that picture because that was very expensive for you. And the man who had bought the picture said, you have no idea how expensive this was for me. Well, the man didn't understand the comment so he didn't follow up on it. His next question went like this. Where are you going to put that in your house to kind of fix up your house? And the man who had bought the portrait said this. No, you don't understand. You don't buy a picture like this to put it in your house. You build an entire house around a picture like this to focus attention on the picture perfect analogy to our lives. You don't invite God into a certain part of your life to fix up that part of your life. You build an entire life around God to focus on God and to glorify God. And if that's the attitude you have with evangelism, you'll start off on much firmer ground. Everything else is cheap grace. Everything else will lead you to an avenue where the person is the center of the universe instead of God being the center of the universe. So remember that God is the focus. And that God has already initiated, listen to this, in the words of Peter, a predetermined plan for the solution to all of our problems, not just a few of our problems. As a matter of fact, it was to a solution to all of our lives, not just a few of our problems. You know, in order to face our sin, we must have that assurance up front. Somewhere in the beginning of this conversation, somewhere in the beginning of caring for this person as a person, and knowing them well enough to speak to them in language that they will understand, somewhere along the line, you need to say, you know, God has answered all of our needs, all of my needs. He's solved the problems of the world. He has a solution. So that people will know that there is nothing that can come along that has not already been paid for. You know the nature of God is so astounding when you think of it. I heard a story the other day. Actually, I read a story the other day. It's supposed to be a true story. It had taken place during the Korean War. You remember back that far. During this war, the communist insurgents overtook this small village. There was a reputable man, a man... Who was looked up to by the people in that village. He was a pastor. As a matter of fact, he was the head of an orphanage. These communist insurgents, the commander of whom was just a boy. You know, we when we think of war, we think of sending men out to fight each other. That's not the way it is. We send boys out. And many times these boys are pressed into servants service as, as commanders. And that's what had happened. So this commander overtook this town and they arrested this citizen and he had in his head, I will demoralize these people by killing this leader so that they will know we are in full command. And so they held a trial and he was sentenced to death and he was about to execute this man. When one of his assistants said, you know, this is probably not a good idea. Because if you execute this guy, we're going to have all these kids on our hands. We won't know what to do with him. You probably ought not to do that. And so what this young boy did instead was to bring this man's 19-year-old son in and before the eyes of his father shoot him dead. The tide of the war turned, as you will remember. And the allied forces retook that town and captured that communist band and captured the boy commander. And he was about to face trial when this pastor, this father, went to the judge. And this is what he said. Judge, he's just a boy. I don't believe that He really understood. I I don't believe he's totally lost. Give him to me. Let me take him in. Let me raise him in the ways of Christ. And the judge did it. Today, that boy is a pastor. I thought, how like God to take in and care for the murderer of his son. How like God to have a plan with a love so great that before the trial had ever taken place to provide for and to raise us all in the ways of Christ because we are the murderers of His Son, you know. You see, that's the next part of this passage, whom you crucified." We've got to understand that this passage is not to the Romans. Not to the Jews. It's to us. It's to those who have operated under the nature of guilt, not just the behavior of guilt. You know what? We've got we've to make a differentiation here. Americans have done a funny thing with guilt, a funny odd thing, and sometimes a funny ha-ha thing. And that is that we have, we have so parceled and divided and distributed guilt, we have so cheapened guilt, we have forgotten what guilt's all about. We feel guilty about everything. And we feel guilty about nothing. It's odd living in this country, you know. There are people who seem to have absolutely no guilt about great sins. And there are, at the same time, some of those people have guilt about everything they do. You know people who feel guilty about everything. Things well beyond their control. Things they have no hand in. And it happens and they feel bad. They should have done something. You know some of you are like that. I know some of you. I want to tell you to ease up. I want to tell you get some perspective here. Don't just feel guilty about everything that you did or didn't do. Now sometimes you know it's okay to feel bad. But but this broad based guilt, everything that happens, I feel bad about cheapens the concept of guilt. So I, I, I'm married to a very sensitive person. I mean, she does. She feels immediately bad. Anything goes wrong in the family. Oh. My, it's my fault. I should have done something. I should have known. I should have. You know, I'm constantly saying, "Beck, cut it out." You know, just ease up on yourself. It's, this is not your fault. You didn't have. You know, we were traveling home from church the other night, and we were going down Oranole, and it was kind of getting dark, and there was a dead cat by the road. And Beck says, "I feel so bad about that cat." I looked at here and thought, "Here we go again." I said, Becky, why in the world would you feel bad about that cat? She looked at me and she said, cause I ran over it on the way to church this morning. (laughs) Okay, okay, some things you are supposed to feel bad about. (laughs) But you gotta, you know, you gotta give yourself a break, you know, sometimes there's... (laughs) You've gotta cut out this general guilt stuff. But here's on it. Let me take you a step lower. Much lower than that. A step deeper, rather. Jesus Christ is not just about paying for the price of things that we have done, whether or not we intended to do them. There is a much larger problem here, and the, the larger problem is the nature that we have that is a sin nature. It's not about what we do or the ways we think. It's about what we are. It's about the irretrievable problem that we have. That we will sabotage our lives. We will hurt the very people who love us. If we have the smallest bit of excuse, and sometimes when we don't have excuse. We don't kill people. We are a killing machine. Think of yourselves. Just in in the little everyday irritations you have, just think of the little... Tendencies that you have. Somebody is rude to you in a line. Somebody somebody says a cross word to you or a, or, 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 a word of condemnation. And, and 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 examine your thoughts. Don't you put them on the other side of your prayer list? I mean the first the first side being, oh God, bless them. The second side being, oh God, give them what they deserve. <laughs> second side. And and, and and we just we have this thing of I want justice here. Well, that's no more than masking our real nature, which is really a killing machine. Do you know how Stonewall Jackson died? Stonewall Jackson, one of the most brilliant Confederate generals. Absolutely brilliant. He had trained his men in military precision. He had drilled them again and again and again and again on the art of killing And one night, Stonewall Jackson was coming back from a scouting expedition, back into his own troops that had been trained. Anything you can't identify, you shoot. And so he was shot repeatedly by his own army. They were made into a killing machine. That's our nature. It's not just that we will hurt the people that have hurt us. It is that we hurt people repeatedly, whether or not they've hurt us. It is our nature. It is what got Christ crucified. They killed the very one that came to save them. And so that's what we must confess. We must confess that we are in a state of life where no matter what we do, it will never get great. Because we need a whole new life. We don't just need an answer to a problem here or there. No, we need a whole new life. So when you're sharing Christ with somebody, not only share that God has a wonderful plan and He's already made provision for all of our sins, but share also, we need to confess that we need something totally different, totally new. Because that's authentic. That's the right basis. It's the reason that they kept talking about miracles here. Jesus said, uh, I'm sorry, Peter said this. Jesus, who God attested through him, through the miracles of signs and wonders, that all of you saw that this was the Christ. We don't need just a better teacher. Somebody sent me an article this week from a rabbi. I think he's local, so I won't name him. But around Easter time, he explained to his congregation the Jewish view of Jesus. Now, I want to say on his behalf, it was quite a benevolent view. He said, you know, basically Jesus thought he was the Messiah, and that's nothing unordinary for the Jewish community because they don't think of the Messiah as divine. They just think of him as a person uh, and someone who will re, um, institute, uh um Israel in a political leadership of the world and so on and so forth and this Jesus thought he was and he wasn't. I mean he just got killed and buried and so he wasn't a heretic, he was just mistaken. That's the way it goes. He missed one small part of the story. The resurrection part. What do you do with the resurrection? What do you do with the fact that that we are all witnesses to that resurrection. What do you do with the fact that this isn't just the killing of a good teacher or somebody who may have had a better standard? What do you do with the fact that this life won't end and that all of us can attest to that who have accepted Jesus Christ because He lives in us? You see, this is not just revising your behavior or revising your thinking. This is a whole new life. And people who commit their lives to Christ must understand it's a whole new life they're being offered, not a solution to a problem here or there. So when we do evangelism, the good news is God has a miracle for us. Do you know what? Many of us can live beyond what we could never live up to. Listen to that. We are wired in such a way that we can live beyond what we could never live up to. And that is the nature of a miracle. Well, you start sharing that with people. You start saying, you know what? God has a plan for your life. And it has already taken in to itself the provision for your sin, for our sin. And it's not just the mistakes. It's our entire nature. And this plan is not just correction. It's a whole new life. Then if the Spirit is working, and by the way, that is the determining factor, not how well you argue, not how well you present, you can do an absolutely crummy job. And if the Spirit is operating, God will get the results. It's not us, it's God who converts. And so therefore, we don't need to go like this and think of all the Bible verses we could have used, but we messed it up. All you can do is proceed the best you can and God will do the following up. Well, if God is doing the following up, guess what the response is going to be? Sooner or later, these people are going to answer just like this audience did. Brethren, what shall we do? They're going to see their connection to you, by the way. They're going to say, you're kind of like I am. You've been through what I've been through. Brother, sister, what do I do? And then... You talk about changing your life. That's what repentance is. It's changing directions. Changing everything. It's talking about putting your trust in Christ. You see, what I've given before, I talked about last week, was notitia and That's That's the data that they need. They need to know there's a plan. They need to know there's forgiveness. They need to know that they've sinned. And they need to know that God will give them a whole new life. That's what they need to know. That's what they need to be able to assent to. But now comes the step, fiducia putting your trust, your personal trust in this. And so, that's what you offer to them. You you offer them the opportunity to put their personal trust in Christ. Now, let me give you a story to use. Now, I know this is an old story, and most of you already know this story, but let me remind you of it. Um, Jim Dobson uses this in one of his books. Um, um, Tony Campalo uses this. Um, but I love this story. And there's, there's never been a story I've heard that has said it much better than this. It's about a daredevil. You know, Evil Knievel is not the first daredevil that ever lived. There have been daredevils all down through the ages. As a matter of fact, if you ever go to Niagara Falls, you can go through a museum that was filled with the pictures and the artifacts of the daredevils who went over the falls. Barrels, you know, pictures of these people standing, you know, all shook up. Well, this particular daredevil was named Blondine. Blondine was a man who one day arranged a trip over the falls, only not over in a barrel. He stretched out a tight wire from the Canadian side to the American side. And, of course, he arranged, as daredevils do, an audience for that day. He didn't want to do it for nobody. So there's a great crowd of people on the American side, and he gets up on this... On this thing, and about three feet out from where the falls was going over, he's walking in, in, over the sheer, absolute torrent of water, walking over. And people are holding their breath. People are starting to shout like cloud, clouds, crowds do. Blunding, blunding, blunding. You know. He gets over there and he addresses. He raises his hand like he's going to address the crowd. Of course, everybody just gets quiet. He said. How many of you think I can carry a man on my shoulders across these falls? Every hand went up. Then he asked the next question. Who of you would be that one? It is the second question that is the question of faith, not the first. Let me ask you this morning. I'm going to challenge you to prayer in just a minute. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to have have an opportunity for some of you to take another giant step in your spiritual life this morning. But let me just plant that image in your mind. Would you be the one willing this morning to climb up on the shoulders of Jesus and make whatever He does your fate? Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that evangelism is good news. It's not horrible news. It's, it's not compulsion. It's sharing. Thank you that the nature of the church, the initial nature of the church, is wanting to include people into the wonderful confidence and grace of God. Thank you that we are made vessels to do that. And so as we listen to this song this morning, God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come down into this congregation of people and before the challenge to just to be in their hearts and to address them personally. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Sing along with us if you know this.
4: Address them personally. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing along with us if you know this.
3: Come and join the reapers all the the darkness, for the Lord is calling,
4: faithful song is a call, and that's what we're going to do right now, we're going to call. I'd like to ask two groups of people this morning if they would come to the altar and that they would commit their lives in a new way to Christ first of all I would like to invite the people in this congregation who have never crawled completely on the shoulders of Christ you've understood it you've believed it but you've never taken that ultimate risk that says Jesus I'm all yours there are no parts of my life that are reserved for me anymore For some of you, that will be the first time. It will be the first time you've admitted your guilt and you've received the grace of God for salvation. For others of you, there will be times when you think that you're all with Christ, but you know that there's an area of your life that you just haven't given to Him yet. You're still keeping it to yourself. And I would ask you this morning, no reserves, that you would crawl on the shoulders of Christ. Every bit of who you are and what you know would be given to Christ this morning. as a complete, complete commitment to Him. Now, if you will come forward at this time, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would you come forward at this time? Thank you. No reserves. Thanks. Pray. and held back. Now while they're coming, I'm going to invite the second group, which will also include the first group. There are many of you who aren't aware of anything you're holding back. You believe you've given all your life to Christ. But there's this category of ministry you haven't developed yet, and that category is pronounced evangelism because you're uncomfortable in sharing the things of Christ. And I'm going to ask you if you will take the next step this morning. The step that would pray for an opportunity to find someone to love and to care for and to share Christ with. I'm going to ask you if you would be brave enough to say, God, I don't know how to do this thing, but I want To share with somebody the love and the grace that you've given me. If you would be that person with that prayer, would you come forward also? And I want to pray for you. Come forward right now. Would you pray with me as I pray for these? Father, I thank you that you have led these people to take the next step. It is a giant step in their spiritual growth. There are some here who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. They've never confessed that they have this sinful nature that will never come right that they sabotage all their lives because of that nature. There are some who up to this time may have believed that they could pay back their own sins or change so that they couldn't sin anymore, but this morning your Spirit has taught them differently. Father, let them just simply pray, God, I realize I am a sinner, and I cannot pay for my own sins, and I realize that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. And through that gift of His grace and love, I can be saved. And so I thank you that through Him I am made righteous. And I thank you that through His blood I am forgiven. And I thank you that, Jesus, you will now come and live in my heart and make of my life whatever you want. There are others here in that same group, Lord, who have prayed that prayer, but they've held back. And they've not totally given their lives to you and they want to do that this morning so god we make that commitment that we will give every area of our lives every area we are aware of to you and father we also are in that group that get nervous about sharing christ or even looking for opportunities to share christ but lord give us the overwhelming love and concern for the people that you give to us in our lives that we would love them with the ultimate goal of sharing the greatest thing in our lives and that's Jesus Christ. We ask you to give us the attitude before you give us the words and then give us the words to give to them the basic information that God has a plan that has provided the solution to a new life and that people can find that through committing their lives to Christ. God, thank you for this army. Thank you for these, these laborers to bring in the harvest. We love you. And we will give to others as we have been given to. We pray this in Jesus' name.